0: Hello and welcome to episode 70 of the Asian Cinema Film Club. I'm your host as always Edward Jones and joining me of course is the my co-host, the professor Mr. Stephen Palmer. Howdy! Tonight we look at a Stephen Chow classic as we check out Shaolin Soccer, uh, the film which helped Stephen Chow really break through into the West but only to then disappear as quickly as he has exploded onto the scene. Uh, but before we obviously get into that, it's time to ask what you've been watching. and seeing, what's been honing your attention since the last episode?
1: So there's a couple of things, um, one of which will be spoiled, because I talked about it on our very last episode of the Battle Royale podcast, but I don't know how production's going to <laughs> <laughs> float this out, and, and obviously I looked like an idiot when I was talking about it anyway, so I thought I'd do it again. Um, I managed to pick up a second-hand version of... Of, well not a version, it's just a second hand copy of the um, Battles Without Honour and Humanity box set that was released by Arrow a couple of years ago I'm thinking, probably a bit longer
0: Um, It's about that, yeah it's been a, it's been a couple of years they released it it's that that really big box set Cause I want to say it was either before or just after they did the Stray Cat Rock box set I think set. it
1: was just after, yes it's um, any, anyway I picked it up and of course I will look like a complete idiot on the on the other podcast because I'd forgotten that it's directed by Kenji Fukusaku, who is the director of Battle Royale. And when I say it, obviously there's um, there's five films on, on this box set. So the original five, which were all made in like a two-year period, or certainly released in a two-year period. I've only watched the first one, but I, I hadn't seen them before. It's one of those things that... A lot of people talk about, a lot of people have seen, a lot of people talk about knowledgeably, and I just had never got round to it. I'm not hugely into um, gangster, Yakuza, hardcore Yakuza cinema, outside of what I've seen, you know, with Takashi Miike's stuff. Um, so, I, but like I say, I got it, I got it cheap, or cheapish, and I really... I really fancy seeing it so I've watched the first film Battles but, uh, the Battles Without Honor Humanity and what, what I hadn't realised it, it's basically a dramatisation of a, of, a, of a pretty much a true story um, it's based on the biography of a post-war Yakuza I can't remember the fella's name but um, basically they, they took his book that he wrote and over the next few films not, not all, all all five films on this direct me from that but basically the first two or three are are versions I think some names have been changed and some incidents have been changed with dramatic effect of 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 basically these this Yakuza and and the people surrounding him who who were um uh, sort of, sort of became yakuza in the in the post-war years um was it just outside Nagasaki or Hiroshima, I can't remember. It's one of the two, because it's where the bomb went off. And that was the whole point. Um, but basically, yeah, just out, outside of one of them. Um, really fascinating, though, because I what I wasn't expecting was this kind of almost documentary-style, free-floating camera, Dutch angles, um, really kinetic filmmaking style. You know, when we looked at Battle Royale, it was very... it it wasn't very kinetic there was there was some camera movement but quite often things were like nice long shots and still and just normal pans and things like that but this is this is crazy and this is like a a french new wave film and (laughs) the camera's all over the place and there's a million and one characters and then it's done this pseudo documentary style and we get introduced to them when they this is Fred and he's going to be the future underboss of the family. And and then later on in the film, we see dead (laughs) and, and people get shot and have their arms hacked off. And there's all this political stuff going on. And both, both in the sense of a into Yakuza politics or intra Yakuza politics and the corrupt real politicians who are, who are basically being supported and bankrolled and help bankroll the yakuza, and I've got to got to be honest with you, mate. I probably didn't keep up with 80% of what was going on, but it was a real tour de force, and <laughs> and yeah, I'm really excited about seeing the other ones, especially as I know they were kind of all made. So, so the first few were all made in the same sort of session, in the same sort of hopefully the same sort of feel cast and so on and so forth i am also aware you know that they rebooted it they've rebooted it at least twice since since then so maybe it will get me more into it but you know if you want the, the film that's probably bought the whole chopping your pinky off as a point of honor um this is probably the film that solidified that in in pop culture. Yeah, it's really, really good. Really nice box set, but a real surprising film. Just wasn't what I was expecting at all. Um, I mean, you, you've seen them, right? You're uh, you're ahead of me on this, and it is Hiroshima. I knew, I knew it was. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it was one of the two.
0: Yeah, I mean, they caught these when they originally uh, filtered across randomly onto Shudder. Uh, this obviously being before we obviously had the Arrow player. And they are an interesting collection of movies. You obviously got the the original battles out Honor and Humanity and then you got the <coughs> new battles about Honor and Humanity as well. Um the new battles about Honor and Humanity in particular is um where that um song from Kill Bill came from originally. That then went on to every single award show and talent contest going. You need dramatic music whenever your judges are walking in, so gotcha. Yeah. Um it's not a good movie, but a very good song. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, yeah, I mean, it's obviously it's by the director of Battle Royale, so it's got that going for it as well. And I think as we were as we were recording this, we have obviously just uh, wrapped up production on the Battle Royale podcast, so those last few episodes are going to be coming out in the coming weeks. Um, but as we were like saying, I mean, he did the Japanese sections for Tour, Tour, Tour. Um and he he's got this very impressive body of work to him. Mean, it was it's just obviously Battle Royale was his big sort of breakout work that I think everyone sort of knows him for. Um well his son obviously would go on to direct Battle Royale too, which he only directed one scene of, sadly, before he passed away. So But um yeah, it's it's a different uh, definitely a different pace than the Battle but Battle Royale. But mm-hmm. it's an interesting collection of films, especially as you're into Yakuza movies. Um I think they're they're worth checking out at least and I think obviously with the fact that you can get them on Arrow Player now, and I think they're still on Shudder as well. So you have a couple of options to check them out. It uh, makes it a bit easier than obviously committing to a big old box set of these movies. So
1: yeah, I mean they just—I mean I, I've I've seen a few Who's the movies before. Um, when 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 were these made? Um, can't remember. Early seventies, I want to say. Um, yeah, seventy-three onwards. Um. You know, I, I the the, the Yakuza films I've seen before probably from the 60s, and they're very stylish. I mean, obviously we've watched things like Branded to Kill, haven't we, and things like that from from just a bit before this, and they're very stylish and jazzy, and you know, um, this 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 is much more. F- physical and guttural in fact I'm, I'm still shocked to see that they're in color because in my mind it's in black and white i don't know i don't know why it's just i'm, I'm, I'm hmm. imagining it in black and white just the style like i say it's that sort of french new wave kind of feel but i think i know you hate that <laughs> so i won't tar them with that brush but yeah i'll probably be talking about them more as i get to go through the book set because it was really um really eye-opening um the other thing is another film that we've talked about a few times. So again, I'm, um, I have a bit of an arrow habit. I'd love the stuff that arrow put out and I had picked up a few weeks ago. Um, well, as, as you know, they released giants and toys, which is a film we will come back to talk about. Um, but yep. they released, um, just after that, another film by the same director, by, um, Yatsuzo Masamura, a film called Erezumi, um, which I have also finally got around to watching again, a film I knew nothing about a film, uh, you know he he's made 60 odd films he's not quite um <laughs> he wasn't quite uh, uh Miike levels of uh, of output but getting there i think i think 67 was the la- was the last count and Irasumi doesn't even have its own wikipedia page um Irasumi means tattoo or it's the sort of those that are of those big back tattoos that we see <laughs> tying it back into the yakuza again mm-hmm. which of course are now banned you know, tattoos actually are really frowned upon in Japan and those big back tattoos are banned. Um it's a but it's nothing like nothing like I thought it was. This is sort of a a Japanese sort of horror thriller, um, in the broadest sense of the word. Um it's a sort of story that maybe would feel at home a a non ghostly how was the what's the film with all the um Oh god! All the th- stories, for extremes. No, no, no! Older than that. Um, can't remember what it's called, but it's in the same vein as things like um, *Kuroneko* and um, *Onibaba*. Right. Um, I'm just. I was thinking of is the one I was trying to think of. You know, okay, would, yeah. It would kind of fit. It's a, it's a fair. The original text is a fairly, sh- fairly nothing short story, cautionary tale. Certainly not enough in there to base a feature film around. Um, uh, but it doesn't really have any supernatural side, although, you know, you, you could say it does. But basically, it's the story of a sort of Edo-era uh, Edo Japan, a young couple, um, basically, are eloping. Um, the couple, basically, are the daughter of the owner of some kind of retail shop empire basically some rich family and they're sort of the guy that runs the store so basically he's from a poor stock he's fallen in love and seduced the daughter and they basically elope um they're the people that they put their faith in to hide them away from the family are assholes and end up basically attempting to kill the, the young man and kidnapping and although they call it being a geisha they basically set her up to be a
0: prostitute <laughs> um,
1: um however one of the customers is a master tattooist and he gets obsessed with this girl and her perfect skin and he ends up kidnapping her and um and, and that's actually where we start the film we start the film as, as the reviewers say in media res with her waking up from her kidnapping and and this this creepy guy you think is going to rape her, but he ends up doing his big tattoo of a giant spider, demon spider thing on her back. And then we flip back to how we got here and then the film continues on. Um, What happens is, is this spider, it's a whole Black Widow kind of thing. And I mean in the Animal Kingdom sense, not in the marvel superhero sense where you know she she becomes empowered she basically drains the life out of people but not not in a horror just kind of she she gets really empowered by this and basically first starts off by draining their wallets and then later on basically feeling empowered enough to have revenge on the people that betrayed her um her her partner I said he was attempted to be killed, he isn't killed, and he sort of comes back, and they're still in love, but she's a much-changed person. Um, oh my God, this film is so bloody good, mate. I I was, again, not what I was expecting at all. Um, I don't really know what I was expecting, but I wasn't expecting this un- kind of cautionary tale that looks amazing. It's been, it's been, ooh, you know, 4K'd up and... And the colours have been, um, put back into it. I've never seen this film before. It would look fantastic in black and white. I have to say, the tattoo's are a bit disappointing when you see all the wonderful colourful tattoos that Yakuza's have on their back. But, the story, it's only 85 minutes long. It's got lots of twists and turns. And the lead actress, um, Ayako Wakao, Wakao, wakao I don't know how to say it. She's freaking amazing, um yeah, really, if you get a chance, I know it's on the Arrow player, <coughs> if you pick it up, second, you know, just just if you can, please try and watch it, I may bring it to the show even at some point, because I've never heard of it, and like I say, it's it's not even one of the, the top ten films in, in um, Masamura's CV, I don't know why Arrow decided to do this one, <laughs> it's just weird but it's bloody amazing, which is probably why um, yeah, really, really recommend it Um, Only downside, bloody Tony Rains on the DVD extras again, but one can't have everything.
0: And that's me. As for myself, I saw a couple of uh, bits and pieces. Uh, First off, I checked out the recent Discovery documentary for Shark Week called Finn. About the trade and um, export of sh- uh, shark fin for shark fin soup. Um, while this might make you wonder why we're covering on this show. Um, especially because it's an Eli Roth documentary. But please don't hold that against it as it is actually rather good. It's not quite up there with like Blackfish which I think it was really aiming for but... Um, it certainly raises some interesting points and though Eli Roth clearly didn't know what he's getting into as he's really not having a fun time as it goes on. Most noteworthy, though for this film is that it features a brief sequence uh, with Lamnai Choi, Choi, um, the director of such classics as the story of Ricky, uh, he did the erotic ghost story, um, he also did the cat, and now he's a food critic. Which as he says in the documentary is a lot easier than being a director. Um, and he'd seen it he's seen it rather briefly just to basically um, talk about, you know, the dish of sharp fin soup and how it basically has come from this idea of this dish being created just so that you can show off how wealthy you are um and the fact that it was like obviously oh. created as part of the the side of the emperor's buffet um and it's this real sort of status symbol toward a shark fin soup even though the trade in shark fin is absolutely horrific the preparation leaves a lot to be desired with shark fins being shown next to dog excrement and basically being dried out on the street so it's a bit of an eye-opening experience just uh to check that one out, but I'd recommend checking that out if you've got Discovery+. Plus. On the film side of things, um, there's a few bits and pieces that I've uh, checked out since the last one, which I'm just trying to find my diary now. Um, First off, because we obviously covered Ninja Scroll in the last one, uh, you will remember that we obviously talked about the other video game anime is out there, and I took in a couple I my chats, you checked out Samurai Shodown The Motion Picture, which, while it's a fantastic video game, is a boring as hell anime. Um, slightly better is The Art of Fighting anime, which has got very little to do with the game, and is just more sort of like a generic action flick anime. Um, and wrapping things up um i checked out she shoots straight from 1990 um most notably for featuring joyce uh, um who is who um is probably we remember we talked about when we covered um eastern condors okay yep uh, she's Tamo Hung's uh, wife and uh he's in this one as well. Um, along with Corey Young Quarry, who was also in Eastern Condors, he directs this one. But yeah, basically she's uh this this uh super cop who marries into this family of police officers and is basically torn between her duty of wanting to be promoted and at the same time there's pressure on her to sort of settle down and, and raise a family um, really, really fun action kung fu movie. It's really good, especially because it's sort of like that 90s women um, action sort of uh, like genre it's, it's adding to so it's a really fantastic fight scenes even though the story does leave a lot to be desired in places which I think is a case where a lot of these 90s uh, flicks the fight scenes are really good but the scenes between them were felt a little more like padding and this one's a bit heavy on the melodrama so but the actual as I said it's worth checking out for the action sequences alone so definitely one that I would recommend uh hunting down and yeah, that's about it for myself. Obviously plenty to look forward to on the Arrow player, as you mentioned, obviously, uh with Giants and Toys being added. Um, as well as that other one whose name I can't pronounce.
1: It Irizumi.
0: Irizumi, that's the one. Um so... once, you know,
1: once you know that's that's Japanese for tattoo, you can just call it tattoo.
0: But then I, <laughs> I saw Eidos in Hells on Pluto T V now. Is it? I was like, "Why the hell is that on there?" For so, um, so yeah. If you haven't downloaded Pluto TV, check out Pluto TV. They got some random stuff just available to watch on demand there, including Demon Seed, which is pretty good as well. But obviously, not Asian cinema.
1: Demon Seed, um, the seventies um, film about the smart home and the robot impregnates the woman. That Demon Seed. Yeah,
0: that Demon Seed.
1: That's a very prescient film. That is apart from the raping of. Women and impregnating them, but the the, the smart home thing is is quite pressy. I watched that not that
0: long ago. It's not as that's the thing. It's it's a a sticking point plot wise, but it's mm. not as it's not like inseminator or anything like that. It's not no this no hardly no graphic thing. It's it's a very trippy sort of sequence, and it's um yeah it's it's a it's an unusual thing. But if you're into like you know. Killer sentient um, computers. Then it's pretty good addition to that genre.
1: Yeah, that's it's quite a it was quite a a fun, quite a popular genre in the sort of the mid seventies. This sort of technology, this fear of technology, fear of fear of the present world. You know, you got things like that, and the Andromeda Strain, and oh, things like the Omega Man, things like that. That that were even Planet of the Apes. You know, just worrying about the current world's going to hurt us. And then then it all changed and went to things like the entity where it's ghosts getting people instead of machines. But we had a fear of we had a fear of technology for a while, didn't we?
0: Yes, of course. Um and if you uh obviously have been following our social media feed, you were recently to see that I entered into a rather silly bet with terracotta distribution who were talking about one of our friends of uh, the show Benji Box. Um, who does really great um, reviews on Twitter of Asian Cinema, so definitely go look him up. But he had done 22 Takashi Miku movies in a month, and they basically said, can anyone do any better? And me being the silly person that I am, said, oh yes, we can totally do 30 Miki movies in a month. So make sure you join us in September, where I will be doing... Thirty M.K. movies in a month,
1: and and just to make it clear, listeners, he's on his own.
0: <laughs> yeah, Stephen wants no part of this whatsoever.
1: I just don't think my poor little brain could handle it. Like... <coughs> Although, uh, but we do think we do think it is possible. We do think we just a little bit of analysis before the show that there may be thirty M.K. movies out of the over a hundred the fellas done that are available in the U.K. to watch. Um, and, you know, maybe with a bit of a stretch looking at some, uh, some maybe some Chinese streaming platforms or something, mate, you might have we're gonna, to end up on. We're going to get hold
0: of our um, tape trading people and we're going we're gonna to track down some, some titles. So it's going to be interesting to see what gets covered in the 30 days because obviously I've got outstanding totals. The ones that have been released, uh, things like Yakuza Apocalypse. So I'm going to be... Um, able to cross off some of that stuff, we're going to revisit some of the classic stuff, and we're going to revisit some of the weird stuff.
1: I mean, what I'd be really fascinated in is, I, 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 are you just going to be watching them, or are you going to rate them, or something like that? Because I think with Mikkei, I... you know, we we talk about him a lot, we talk about him and Sono a lot, mostly yeah. because of their output, and the fact that so much of it is available in the West. Um, but Mikkei, especially... You know, with, with Sono, you can pretty much put his. You know, you can look at periods of his work, and but you you can say that's a Sono movie and where it fits in. With 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 Mike, you know, he can be working on four films at the same time that have nothing to do with each other, and one might be a deeply personal, low budget thing, and one might be some big budget studio pick, which I'm sure he's got no real interest in, but it pays the rent, and you know I, I wonder how many if you watch Dirt of his films yeah are we are we seeing the cream of the crop or are you going to be seeing some right old stinkers i, I know that one of the stinkers is is very available in the uk i'm hoping you're <laughs> going to watch that um, but on what, the are you whole, talking terraformers? i am talking about terraformers yes. which is pretty much that. i don't know if you can get shield of straw although i i, I kind of like shield of straw i think it get that gets a really bad rep um and I like things like Yatterman as well, which a lot of people don't like. But
0: well, that's the thing. I feel that like when it, whenever you take on one of these chances, it's always going to be in the blend. If we, mm. if we just went and did like thirty from the outlaw period, then that's going to be a very rough month. Um, whereas if you, by the said if you can like throw in stuff from the period which sort of follows, and we saw him doing things such as you know like. Ace Attorney and Yatterman, and he did um, obviously JoJo's Bizarre Venture adaptations, and yeah, some, yes, and... It's, his his computer game adaptations seem
1: to be readily available. Um, um, and, and there's some, there's some nice, yeah. I, I wish you luck. Obviously, I'm here <coughs> to support you, and I'm guessing maybe we'll do one of them for a show <laughs> during I'm... during September. I, I think that would be remiss because we haven't done a lot of Miku, have we? We've done um, Dead or Alive and Audition. We've done
0: Dead or Alive. Uh, well, we didn't do Audition as part
1: of this show, did we? We did Audition no. as part of uh, the, the, the,
0: the pilot. <laughs> no, we've never done Audition. But at the same time, I think by the time we came to do this show, Audition has been basically done to death by every other podcast out there.
1: I, I, I think so. And it's an incredibly um, atypical film for him as well, which... You know, I think we can love it, but we can also accept it's not not a very meke film.
0: I like it. I love. Like, I, I think. Oh no,
1: I, I I love the film, but I just don't think it's very typical of his output.
0: I just think at the same time, it's um it's a film that because it's a victim of its own popularity, mm, for sure. Um, because it's now on the like top one hundred scariest moments of all time, we we've all seen the twist, mm. which is sort of like key to it working. Because it's as I said, if you watch it blind, it doesn't give anything away, and until we're, we're too drawn in to to um, to get out, uh, whereas if you obviously go into it knowing what's coming up, it it loses some of that uh, that edge to it. So,
1: and it's the only oh up until very recently it actually was the only horror movie he ever made. Um, well, he got three, but at the top, you know, he had this reputation as being part of that 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 horror the Japanese Korean ghost movie thing and obviously it was more about extreme stuff but it, it was certainly in that, that horror, J-horror bent and apart from his work for Hire and on One Miss Call and much more recently Over My Dead Body, or Over Your Dead Body, Over Somebody's Dead Body, um, starring Mitsuke from Battle Royale um, <laughs> hmm. um, they're the only three of the 107 films he's made which are even Considering horror in, in in its in its classic sense, um, and it's just always interesting. Yeah, that, that that film, certainly in the West, I think is well overblown in people's interest and their knowledge of him as a
0: director. So, um, yeah, that's that's how I plan to ruin my month in September. Yeah, and then and
1: follow it up with thirty-one days of horror. Well, that's the thing. <laughs> we yeah, I didn't
0: really. That's the other part of this is I didn't realize that. When I made such an agreement that obviously October follows September, and October is obviously very one days of Halloween or however many months there is in October, I don't know now. And it's to be honest, it's sort of like, oh no, that wasn't that was a little bit of an oversight.
1: <laughs> well, I but... just want ev- everybody on on Twitter to give you all the support, and I hope the people at Terracotta Distribution give you all the support that you need. They
0: sent me a gift saying, "We got you." <laughs> down the the old uh, thumbs up it's like <coughs> just guys um but yeah we were, obviously if you follow us on facebook or twitter or instagram we'll be posting updates as we go and as we uh work our way for the 30. so as i said it's going to be fairly mike movies in 30 days in september so make sure you uh check out check out that and you know put your favorites forward let me know what I should be focusing on uh, over the uh, course of the month and we'll try and work them all in Um, but that is about it Uh, have you got anything else you want to bring up? I don't think
1: so I think I've I've enthused enough about my two films this month and um, I don't think I'll be able to continue that
0: (laughs) so it's time now for our feature presentation and tonight we check out Stephen Chow's Shaolin Soccer So *Sheldon Soccer* released way back in 2001, um, the breakout film for the, in the West for Stephen Chow, um, who had obviously at this point directed many movies as well as uh, appeared in just as many as an actor as well. Um, but *Sheldon Soccer* was the one of two films, the other being *Kung Fu Hustle*, that really marked him out as a name to watch to us here in the West. And then, just as we thought that it was going to be... You know, the spark started something really great. We stuck in all the Stephen Chow movies over here. He just disappeared, so it was just felt like such a missed opportunity, really. And since then, we've seen one or two of his his back catalog filter through, such things such as like Love and Delivery and God of Cookery, um, and King of Comedy. So, yeah, but uh, Stephen, you chose to obviously revisit Stephen Chow in soccer. Yeah. Uh, what was it about this one in particular that made you want to visit out of all the Stephen Chow obviously, films, really?
1: Obviously, I haven't bought enough... St- you know, I'm, I'm a huge fan of Stephen Chow. I've written about him extensively in various places. Um, I love Stephen Chow films. Um, I've bought God of Cookery to an early episode here, but I've really tried to avoid bringing too many. Um, however... I think, like you say, Shaolin Soccer and Kung Fu Hustle are probably the two that people would be um, very familiar with. And I said I think the Asian film community would, would always gravitate towards Kung Fu Hustle because it's riffing on all those Kung Fu Shaw brother films that that are a huge part of that community's shared love. The reason, however, i have chosen shaolin soccer so i want to take you back to 2002 2003 something like that it must must have been around then it wouldn't have been 2001 but just think about that and i got some emails and this is before everybody had email this was this was in the early days of the internet um you know, e- email was a thing, and people started attaching these QuickTime movie files. Do you remember QuickTime .dot <laughs> mov files that you needed to download something to play? It wasn't as bad as real audio player, but it was nearly bad as bad. Anyway, these emails with these attachments came, and they had basically clips from this movie, but just the ridiculous CGI football clips. And they were doing that, and I was absolutely smitten by these things. I thought these things are hilarious. I have to declare I am a huge football fan. I don't think you are, are you, mate? So it, No, I, it, I
0: prefer to follow like proper sports, you know, like hockey and pro wrestling and Yeah. You know Okay. Performance. Thing, hockey and performance sports. Anyway, doesn't matter. <laughs> it's not performance, it's not as I said, it's a legacy football
1: or soccer as it's known here is or is the most bunch po- of
0: girls roll around on field while being paid wa- far too much
1: It is the most popular sport in the world with the It's
0: only because it's so easy to play All right you kick the white ball between the sticks
1: It's not the point the point <laughs> is there was this film which kind of mixed up football and kung fu and there were these clips and there was this cgi and it all just looked amazing you've got to remember this wasn't the days of 1080p these were grainy little movies that were playing on crappy monitors in my office um but i was i was i was taken by it and i'd um you know the story of me and asian cinema was sort of you know i was was in a period where i wasn't following it so much and this was you know contemporaneous with my rediscovery of it this this was contemporaneous you know this is 2000 so this came out in 2001 but i'm starting to discover films like audition like we just talked about like the original ring um uh that doesn't matter but but shaolin soccer made me go and try and hunt down a copy of this and i i think it was the first film i imported from hong kong um and luckily yeah luckily i got the (laughs) the hong kong version and not the uh, the abortion version that we're not going to talk about and give mr weinstein any airtime if we can help it but yeah It was just like this, and I didn't understand half the jokes, and but it was still amazing, and and it stuck with me to this day. And that's what my first exposure to to Stephen Chow. It still stands you know, to me, it still stands up as one one of those gateway films. If I was going to show somebody a Stephen Chow film and they weren't into asian cinema it would be shaolin soccer or from beijing with love which i think would be the two easy gateway films for people to understand i mean they might only laugh at a third of the jokes but i think there's enough visual comedy here and enough shared experience in the center of football that it that it would be the sort of film that you could hand to a friend and say yeah this is the kind of stuff i'm into um so yeah it's, it's, it's this memory but i was then thinking i haven't actually seen it in years you know, my, my, my overwhelming memory of it isn't watching the film. My overwhelming memory of it is how I came across the film. <laughs> so I thought it would be rather fun to go back and have a look at it. Still, if it still stands up. Um, you know, it, we, we know it's more late. We, we know it's going to be fairly nonsensical. Um, I was also interested in how the special effects stood up 20 years later. Um, so, yeah, that, that that's why I picked it. That was a long way of saying... I'm old, and it gave me happy feelings, the memory of <laughs> discovering it.
0: <laughs> yeah, so... Um, obviously, if you're not familiar with the film, um, it follows a... a disgraced soccer player, known as the Golden Leg, who decides to, he he's going to get back as his uh, former boss is also evil, and the owner of the football team Team Evil Little on the nose um, well, along the way a, a,
1: on that, that's a bad translation, <laughs> it's meant to Is be it? demons or devils but the English translation translates it as Team Evil <laughs> I don't know why, but yeah like the Red Devils, like Man United are the Red Devils that kind of thing, but yeah but Team Evil works, doesn't it?
0: <laughs> yeah, um, and along the way he runs into Stephen Charles uh, Young Shaolin monk who's hit on something of hard times much like his Shaolin brothers who have all taken menial jobs in the city um, most of which have forgotten their kung fu skills apart from uh, Stephen Charles monk who's determined that to teach the world kung fu again as he feels that it can apply to everyday life as we see for a number of really bizarre and random examples that he gives such as the woman not being able to park a car but she can use the Shaolin monks push to shove the car into <coughs> space. And you hey, can. Hey,
1: look, we all have problems parallel parking. He's got it
0: fixed. <laughs> but um, yes, as uh, the mighty iron leg, he reunites with his Shaolin brothers um, to form a football team, along with a group of uh, a local group of thugs uh, to ultimately take on Team Evil. Um, on the hilarity way. ensues
1: <laughs> on the way. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, actually, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that that is that is the guts of it. Obviously, on the way, he um, he's inspired by, and a really underplayed romance happens between him and um, mainland, uh, film actress superstar Vicky Zhao Wei. Um, who, who the film delights in showing off in just the least attractive ways possible, whether it's the greasy acne that she has, or the the Western style. Yeah, her character's called Mui, and she's named after Anita Mui, the, who yeah, who was who was still a huge star when this film came out. She hadn't passed away yet, and she spends the middle part of the film dressed up as Anita Mui from another film in this awful. Shoulder pads, short skirt, just oh, it's just so early two thousands with the worst makeup ever, and then to finish off in a bald wig, <laughs> meant to be looking like a showering monk, but looking like the girl from um the first Star Trek movie. Um, it's yeah, the film just delights in in that, and 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 bizarrely, the the if there's criticism of this film, and I don't mean to start with a criticism, but Chow's own role in this film is incredibly underplayed. Um, normally, he's the star, and everything goes around him. And the romance would be him. You know, he's got this thing about the sing girls. Yeah, so that's his. Um, all the characters in all his films are called sing, and uh, this film included. And there's always he's always got some girl that he's trying to make into a superstar. And you know, there's obviously stories about him. <laughs> and his romantic attachments to him. But in this film, whilst there is a romantic subplot, nothing really happens with it until the very end. Um, in fact, he it, it almost pushes against it. And it's all the other characters, which are where most of the comedy is. He's almost playing this quite straight. And it's very weird. It's a very un Stephen Chow movie in that regard, that he lets other people do all the comedy. Um, the other thing is... This is the last film he was to do with Ungman Tat who plays um Golden Leg. Yeah. Um, whereas if you if you know about the whole Stephen King C V Stephen King C V, Stephen Chow C V, um, you'll know that Ungman Tat is basically his right hand man in, in a huge number of the films and actually after this one they fell out. So just as his you know, the career might be going global they, they they seriously fell out with each other. Um, and so this, it's, it's quite strange to think the first time I discovered Stephen Chow was basically at the end of an era. Um, but that's quite fun in this as well. <laughs> He's, uh, he, he normally plays like the uncle or something of, of, of Stephen Chow. In this case, he just plays a disgraced former football star, which is quite a dark story, isn't it? It 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 starts off with um, him basically taking <laughs> a bribe.
0: You say it's a dark story. It's a, it's so <laughs> stupid. They, but yes, he decides he's going to be involved in a points shaving scandal, yeah. and only to be get double crossed um, and um, have the crowd beat him up. <laughs> <laughs> at which point they break his leg with a bat that we later find out was a hired mob. Yeah, but it's so stupid. Yeah, are well, so unbelievably well, stupid.
1: Everything's stupid, but it's it's dark in the sense that our, our our hero basically the one thing you don't do, one thing you don't do in football is cheat. I mean, you might throw yourself around and pretend you're injured, but the the, the especially actually at this time that the whole thing about corruption in football is 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 kind of a it's just one of those no nos. And the fact that our one of our heroes was involved in this is is quite shocking. But yes, he. He gets a beating <laughs> From, as we as we find out, paid for by this guy, so the the, the I forgot what the what the other fella's called, um uh, is it uh, I can't remember. the leader of TV below played by Patrick Tay, who is the father of Nicholas Tay, who is a massive star singer, actor, and Mr Faye Wong. So he's basically the father in law of Wong. There you go, that'll 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 um that there's It's in uh, no, no Patrick Say.
0: Oh sorry. Yeah. I'm just saying going for the uh, list in, but yeah, yeah that's Patrick right. Patrick Say.
1: Um anyway,
0: where was I going with this?
1: Um it, it, yeah, it, it's just it's just a dark beginning and um and actually it takes there's a whole bunch of it I don't get, like all the singing in. The, there's whole, thousands of jokes I don't understand at all in this movie. <laughs> they're, they're, they're funny because of the visuals, but I'm sure there's layers that we're missing. You know, like this when Fun goes to meet the first Ironhead or whatever his name in the in the karaoke bar. I have no idea what their song's on about.
0: <laughs> yeah, he's like, oh, because uh, they. He, the whole thing with Stephen Chell's character is that he's kind of a bit of a hustler. He these. Um, a street urchin who like basically collects cans in the day to make money, and he rips off um, May's bun store by uh, pulling this con where he basically, under the guise of sampling buns, is basically stealing buns. Um, and he's also, but he at the same time he's charmed by her kung fu ability to make steam buns, which is always important. But yes, with uh, Ironhead, Ironhead's working in the karaoke bar and. Because he didn't book a, a band, um, basically they say, Oh, we can do um, a Shaolin, Shaolin music performance. So they basically just sing about how great Kung Fu is and who they are. And all the while, the owner of the bar is sitting there with these glass bottles that he keeps hitting Iron Head with, um, including the part when. <laughs> They they're doing this performance and everyone is so transfixed because they're not sure what to make of it. Um, and he just like opens his jacket and he's got these bottles like lined
1: up. <laughs> there are some lovely sight gags like that. Um,
0: which I think is the, the appeal of this film is the fact it is very slapsticky. Um, there's a really stupid uh, joke where obviously. Where Iron Lego comes out, comes out uh, to at uh, the first practice, kicks the ball like miles up into the air, and it's like ten minutes later it comes down. <laughs> <laughs> that made me laugh for like a good five minutes.
1: <laughs> and it's just an easy one. <laughs> Although that's the, a little bit after that, you get the joke with the eggs, don't you? Which gets a bit, which is a bit weirdly homophobic. Um, you do
0: get the yes, because um, lightweight or little or small brother, who's now fat, (laughs) um, has got this real thing about eggs that he has to constantly eat these eggs. So Iron Leg is is being told that he has to, you know, use eggs so he can develop a softer touch because otherwise he keeps launching the balls into orbit and it's obviously not working out because he's uh, too powerful. But obviously it leads into this really overplayed scene where he basically keeps kicking the egg into the um, mouth of one of the one of his other brothers and um small brother basically keeps trying to eat it out the other guy's mouth
1: but obviously cuz he's a big boy he's lays on top and 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 the guy's struggling <laughs> and then he just goes still and it's a bit yeah I, I i think i i know what it's
0: trying to say and again you know
1: Time and geography haven't necessarily been kind to
0: some of the jokes. Um, Stephen Chow, apparently, for the show was so funny he does it twice, and it's the exact same <laughs> shot. Yeah, and it's in the outtakes as well. <laughs> um, oh. Although I have to say that when they introduce um, small brother, and he's working in the supermarket, and he's just like shoveling Chris <sighs> in his, his mouth because he's got a weight problem, and it's, he looks like he's going to do his amazing flight ability because he's light footed. Yeah. And instead, just falls through like <laughs> on the toilet roll. It's, again, it's just really stupid, slapsticky moments and this. And never when they like had their first game, and the other team were like looking at him and going, "Look at this guy! <laughs> like, one of them's got a fag in his mouth. <laughs> just... The other one's got like just like this weird toothy grin going on. It's like, look at this guy." <laughs> <laughs> and uh <coughs> they have enough. they have face another team who are basically female players with fake mustaches because it's a throwback to Forbidden City Cup. Yeah. Um,
1: played by Cecilia Chung and Karen Mock. I remember Karen was the single girl in God of Cookery. Um they play all of the characters. <laughs> you only see two of them. But that's just why they got dreadlocks and mustaches. Yes, and you're right; yes. it is a callback. But yeah, it's I mean just like the bit like in that first game where yes. those people are looking at them, and he just from the kickoff scores a goal. <coughs> they end up winning forty-four 0 because
0: no one says, like,
1: "Hang on, what's going on here?" But <laughs> <your> yeah, illusions
0: <laughs> can't hurt me.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and it just get yeah, and I think. More than any other Stephen Chow film, though, it's a bit of a... It's a bit more of an ensemble piece, you know, that there are people... The the goalkeeper, of course, is Bruce Lee. Not really Bruce Lee, but there's this guy doing this uncanny impression of Bruce Lee right down to the Game of Death um, tracksuit. Are you watching Chigusa from Battle Royale? Um, (laughs) It's like crazy how much he looks like him and uh, so the mannerisms. So, so again that's that's a visual joke that I think most people would understand um but it really yeah again in that final game though sort of the things that go on it's just it, it's like um well, I think Chow himself said he based it on I've got to remember the name of there's a, there's a manga but is also computer games, which have never really come over here. Um, it's called someone like Captain Tusaba or something like that.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's um,
1: right. I, I mean, I have, I've got a couple of, I've got an imported um, Super Nintendo, and that came, a couple of those games came with it, and they're not like football games. They're like, um, they're more like. I don't know, sort of like visual novels. (laughs) I can't really explain what they are, but um, but yes, so there's this kind of manga esque hyper reality going on where people are using superpowers, but not just the fact that you know they're good at heading the ball or good at kicking the ball. You know, they're able to whip up thunderstorms and fireballs, and it's like. I don't know, it just reminded me of some of the football computer games at the time, you know, where you, if you build up enough power, you can do a shot that goes on fire. And 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 then and the goalkeeper gets it, and he gets pushed back into the ground. Yeah, another and
0: one you mean, yeah, on the Neo Geo, because you could... Yeah, um, that's it. They had a really fat goalie you'd knock over, and um, you could beat each other up. Yeah,
1: there's, um, there's this whole... Oh, what is
0: that game? Uh, there, there's,
1: this, there's just a whole thing of this sort of more cartoony beat-em-up, Football that this this film really taps into. Um, even if you don't like football, it doesn't matter because the relationship this film has with the game of football <laughs> is pretty fucking divorced. Right? Mm. <laughs> the, the only thing they get right is if you have only seven players left, the game does get well avoided, and it has happened where teams have 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 gone out to try and get people sent off so the game doesn't. Um, might be better to be awarded a 3-0 loss than to lose 20-0 but um and also reminded me of when i first played football at school and our school team was so shit and we did get beaten something like 40-0 in a game i've been there Mm. (laughs) like an eight or something um but but and then of course so we need to talk about the cgi which i think it weirdly, CGI?
0: I mean, this was no See, C- there was no, no wires, no, stuntman, no CGI. <laughs> no. I mean, this was a very impressive thing. I mean, how was Stephen was able to kick the ball that hard and bounce an egg? Yeah, um, well, what, what yeah,
1: obviously, this is one of the first <laughs> Chinese films, the first Hong Kong films for sure, to really use CGI. And now you think all the CGI in the world is done in China, isn't it? <laughs> and, and South Korea, but this was quite early stuff. <laughs> what I thought was the c g i in the football matches actually stands up quite well because you sort of see it as kind of hyper real and cartoony yeah um but other aspects of it look dreadful theres a there's a bit where you're watching Mui make the um buns and the milk in the well, sort of the water, the flowery water yeah. in the middle of a pile of water is clearly not water and then then she does the yin and yang sign in it. But it looks dreadful. It looks really naff. Yeah okay. yet other things looked I thought they looked really solid. <laughs> There's a weird but they don't really get bodies moving very well. The bodies flop around like ragdolls, don't they, <laughs> when they get hit. Everything moves just a little bit too fast. But I thought I thought for eight you know for a comedy movie, I thought the special effects still stood up quite well. I don't know how you felt.
0: I think they definitely do, but at the same time, it's also that um, version of 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 uh, of CGI that we see in Asian cinema and things like uh, Kashen, where it's not trying to go for hyper-realism, which you would obviously get in more Western productions, but it's obviously got that uh, CGI. It's CGI but it's got a like a warm fuzziness to it um, which is it, when you look at it you can see there's a very much a clear difference between the CGI we see in like the Bond movies to the mm. CGI we see here um, it's sort of like acknowledges that the audience know that it's CGI and at the same time doesn't go for the hyper realism. And I think that's why it blends a lot better. And that's why you have, when you have like, especially, and the fact that this is a com- comedy film, I think only sort of allows you to get away with more. Such as we have those um, sort of like super powered fight scenes where like people just fly through the air. And it's when we have like, um, The scene where the they're playing against the team of thugs and it like turns into this World War one sort of like saving Saving
1: Private Ryan riff, isn't there? Which of course was the big film of the time. Oh, and that I mean that's just again that just works right because that's a film we understand, yeah. And war films in general we understand, but yeah, he's he's dragging himself along the beach and then. One of his colleagues comes over the wall and he's, he's picked up something to and he thinks it's the radio and he's radioing for help and he says, What the fuck are you doing? and then we see he's back in the world. But that's yeah, I, I think that worked. I think one of the things Chow can do very well is just bring it back so anyone can understand it. A lot of people say a lot of his films, you know, don't translate because it's a peculiar sense of humor and so much of it is wordplay. The Shaolin soccer. I don't think that's the case. I think these are mostly visual jokes and most of them I think we un- we can understand without too much explanation. There's a there's a, some of it like I don't know what Anita Mui film they're riffing on with the outfit I just happen to know it is that because I read it somewhere, and that would make sense, especially with the name of her character. But I imagine the people in Hong Kong thought that was freaking hilarious, mate.
0: <laughs> that whole <laughs> sequence is so bizarre. Yeah, she goes to the very obvious. <laughs> I mean, is it you... are we supposed to say this is a like a drag oh, drag no, queen? But, of... So
1: that drag queen's in all Stephen Chow's films. So, I forgot the character's name, but that he, he plays that. was basically a man in a wig and a dress. Yeah. Um, and he's in all Stephen Chow's films. Um, so, it would be odd to see him not in it. But, yeah, she basically goes, he's running some beauty parlour, and she goes to him and says, I want to be... He says, don't worry, shuts the door. <laughs> Brings her in, shuts the door, and says, I want then... Yeah.
0: We see, her and she she's uh, dressed up like a '80s working girl, yeah um, as in the Melly Melly Griffiths, not you know, Lady of the Night. And it's such a weird scene. Well, now we just uh, said that. I wonder.
1: Um, no, because I think that was a an Nita movie film. Keep going.
0: <laughs> I I'm just about to say they have this whole scene where they seem to be making fun of her, yet at the same time. Uh, encouraging her to 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 pose, and one of the characters looks like his head is literally going to explode. He's like grabbing yeah. his head, and he's sort of like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> um, and it it's, as I said, the whole plot line with her, I wasn't even sure what the hell was supposed to be going on in there. It seems to serve no real purpose whatsoever really. Well, oh, which is interesting, it's what's one of the things that um Mr Weinstein cut out.
1: even though I said I wasn't gonna mention his name. Um but yeah. Why did he cut
0: out exactly? it, because because I that's to it says a Miramax production, but I don't I her seems obviously very okay. much in it.
1: So I I I I don't I don't know which one you saw. So basically he cut about twenty minutes out. Um the you definitely haven't seen the Weinstein version because you've seen the concert <laughs> so that got cut out the scene where she go the, the scene you've in fact, both scenes you've described are cut from it um there is on the dvd there are some scenes which go back in again um but basically yeah, it's 22 minutes shorter anything all the opening titles are gone um the black and white stuff at the beginning where the bribery happens gone um There is a musical sequence which isn't in the Asian version of the film. Um, All the dialogue between Sing and Ironhead in the club scene is gone. And apparently, the song they perform is in a major key rather than a minor key. So it's a happy song, not a sad song. Okay. There you go. Um, There aren't as many bottle-to-head smashes. (laughs) Um... (sighs) All the vomit and fart gags are taken out. Um, all the initial meetings with the brothers are shortened. Um, it's an English dub only. And... Yeah, it makes no fucking sense. <laughs> um, yeah, there's there's quite a lot. Oh, the the, the scene, for example, where, um, where Hung goes to visit Goldenleg at the golf course. And Hung... You know, is, is tempted with an offer to be paid off not to, not to take part. Gone. Just, it ball, it's baldedized yeah? So the film can make no sense. Um, there's only one version of the egg joke. You know, maybe some good things came out of it. <laughs> and the biggest crime of all, sir, is that over the last scene of the film and the credits, they play a cover version of Kung
0: Fu Fighting. Which, oh, the bus stop version featuring Carl Weathers.
1: Which is, what? Well, it doesn't matter which version it is. That's the most racist thing I've ever. Had. <laughs> and oh, and they don't use illegal American drugs. They just use training, right? The, the, the team evil, uh, or the, the don't, don't you know? The, 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 there's a, there's a suggestion in the film, in in the original film, that these um they're using American performance enhancing drugs. Um. Yeah. So, so it's quite different, and as I understand, it's unwatchable. Even though Stephen Chow does do the dub to himself,
0: he does. And if you watch the Italian version, it's all Italian football players who do the yeah. races.
1: Yes, which is something that. Although I don't really. I mean, they're all of a certain age, but yeah, I I, I like that kind of idea. That would have been fun.
0: Um.
1: Good. God, mean, yeah. You would have had David Becker, wouldn't we? Two
0: thousand and one. Oh <laughs> God! I, God you can you imagine that? With dolls' dishwater. Yeah. You put there reading like the the stage directions as well. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, I mean, yeah. Um, I mean, I mean that, sorry. That that that's another thing we should mention. So this came out in two thousand and one. So it it was one of the first films, as a, as I badly explained at the beginning, to really get a, a kind of viral push around the world due to the clips being shared on emails you know there was no youtube then people it was there was no twitter there was no facebook it was just people sending little MOV clips quick time movie clips on on, on email um but also the next year would be the 2002 world cup which was shared between japan and south korea um so there was Within Asia itself, this the zeitgeist was football. This was an exciting time for Asian soccer. Oh, I've just said the word soccer. I should go and have my passport in. Oh, um, Asian football. You know, this 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 is without this you wouldn't get you know the popularity of of Premier League soccer in Asia now and all the betting and stuff around it. But this it just timed things perfectly um so it got a bigger audience the bizarre thing is why well we know <laughs> why didn't it go further as we've talked about before um very strange it makes no
0: sense really because i mean obviously kung Fu hustle comes out and has that wonderful throwback joke where the producer of the football and stomps on it and it's like no more soccer yeah <laughs> um <laughs> But and I would say, arguably, that Kung Fu Hustle is a stronger movie than this one.
1: I think, <clears throat> I think Kung Fu Hustle is his fi- um, Yeah, I think it's probably his finest piece of work, joke for joke. Um, and again, interestingly, he's barely in it. Um, you know, this is this is you know, as a director, he's finally stepping back. He allows other people to to take. I mean he is in it but he's not you know what I mean? He he's he's not even very nice in Kung Fu Hustle. He's a bit of a dick for most of the film.
0: Well that's yeah, he's uh he's a con man mm. um who's obviously trying to rip this town off and I think that was that was it's all part of the redemption arc though, isn't it? The fact that he, by he redeems himself by becoming the chosen one in Kung Fu Hustle. Kung Fu Hustle must noteworthy for just starring all these really old like Shaw Brothers actors who mm. just like randomly all live in pigsty alley.
1: Well, it's uh, and it's in the uh, landlady. Indeed. Well, it's it, it's a kind of sort of remake of um seventy two Tenants of Prosperity, isn't it? Which is one of the most popular Shaw Brothers films, which got remade as seventy two Tenants of something or else even more recently with modern hong kong tv and well tvb stars um but it's got loads of callbacks to other sort of kung fu cinema um but inter- yeah interestingly he is a horrible person in that film when normally he plays some kind of almost overly innocent person so there doesn't mean a yeah. redemption art, but he has a wise up you fucker arc <laughs> that makes him, makes him you know become better and very few of his films he's a complete dick in um, but Kung Fu Hustle is, is one of them but yes, but yeah nothing after that in fact to be honest with you he made, went and made CJ7 this kids film and disappeared off the face of the earth for a decade very strange
0: because um, i remember like seeing the advertisements for, like the mermaid which was obviously oh. a follow-up to um Hussle, and then it never came out it was like oh oh friends, but it, it, it
1: i i it it came out in i saw it in chinatown in in london um so it had a limited local release i guess just in places with chinatowns i suppose Um, And did get a CD, did get a CD, DVD, did get a CD release, It (laughs) It got a a DVD and Blu-ray release over here, Um, but obviously that was, I mean, he'd made half of Journey to the West, um, whatever it was called, Fighting the Demons, he made half of that, and yeah, and then then The Mermaid is a a mainland production, so that was like his first mainland production, Um, which was fantastic, um, and then, but then he went on and made the new King of Comedy, which is, I think, a wonderful movie, but not not super. Do you know what I mean? It was never going to be a huge, massive success. It was a really yeah. weird. It's it's a again as a film, I really urge everyone to go and check out because it it'd be really hard to get hold of, but it's really worth it. I mean, King, the original King of Comedy is, is another. It's another interesting piece by him actually where actually the joke is not necessarily at the forefront and then there's this whole weird quentin tarantino riff at the end um but yeah sorry where where was it yeah it just his career just stopped and yes he's done stuff yes he i mean he's not incredibly loved in the hong kong community to be fair i think um i think he's a bit of an arsehole (laughs) i <laughs> think as a person um and i think he has really relocated to mainland china and he's one of those people who have a bit of a voice for the cccp which probably hasn't done him any good and then there's all these rumors aren't there about him being he had to go to canada to escape from the triads and stuff like that there's a <laughs> whole load of stuff around stephen Zhao which almost certainly isn't true it's just that he's just not very popular in um in in amongst the sort of the, the the hoi polloi of um, of Hong Kong entertainment industry and of course it had fallen out of the Mung which probably didn't help either but yeah very very strange obviously Weinstein gutted the film as we've talked about um, and also Weinstein was going to redo King of Cookery God of Cookery wasn't he which we, we talked about on that episode which which never happened so sad um, but yeah, just, just I guess you could say, went out at the head of his game. But I'd really, really recommend The Mermaid. Mermaid is fantastic. And you, New King of Comedy, I think, is a bit of a hidden gem. That was a okay. ramble. There was one other thing I wanted to say about Mui, which I don't know if you noticed. So, Mui is played by Vicky Zhao um, Wei, who is a very accomplished actress and has had a really amazing career she's a very beautiful lady she was mulan in the only good mulan film that's not animated and she's um and she's actually made film film called so young she's directed a film yeah you know, she's very successful but she's a mainland actress and what i hadn't noticed the first time well uh, previous times until this time and that's because i know more now is that she speaks mandarin the whole film so even when she's talking to Stephen Chow, he's speaking in Cantonese and she's speaking in Mandarin. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's why I think that's meant to be a joke in and of itself. I don't put it as a joke. Obviously, we're just whooshed over our heads because um, I said certainly the younger me wouldn't have understood that they were speaking a different language at all. Um, no, but pre-armed with that information. It's freaking obvious, but. <laughs> but she she kind of mumbles her talk a lot doesn't she she's sort of very
0: yeah of talking course
1: very so. shyly so it's not it's not terribly obvious but again there's a joke no one will get i don't know why that's funny <coughs> but it kind of is now i know <laughs>
0: um i haven't got anything else to say about this one no okay, i think
1: great. i think i think we could e- i could e- we could easily just describe all the funny scenes in it couldn't we and, and chuckle to ourselves it's that kind of film. Um, does it make a lot of sense? No, not really. Is it? Uh, is it? I, I think I still maintain it's the sort of film you could show to pretty much anybody, and they will get a some. Yeah, they'll laugh. You'll get six joke. You'll get six laughs out of that, won't you? I think I'm I'm pretty certain. I really love it. Is it my favorite Stephen shaw film? No, um, but it's where I started, which is why I wanted to bring it to the show, and I think it deserves a place in our you know, on our, on our show and, and talk about it. And hopefully other people will say, oh, Stephen, that's all right, but what you want to do is watch. Because there's still Stephen Chow films I haven't seen. <laughs> it's, it's not as many as... um. You probably could do 30 days of Stephen Chow, but...
0: Well, as an actor, yeah, maybe, <laughs> but uh, not as a director. Oh, as a director, you not... could
1: do about 10 days, yeah.
0: Um, but still, I think I would... It, we're obviously missing his influence on, on the state of modern Asian cinema at the moment. I think it's definitely a unique voice that he brings to Asian cinema. Mm. Um, and I think the fact that it's so slapsticky makes it very accessible to Western tastes as well. Um, which probably explains why they were set, like, giving away like uh, tickets to go and see this movie in like kids' magazines and kids' shows. So which I really would have loved to be on screen. I seeing like some kid getting his mind blown by watching Shaolin uh, soccer.
1: Yeah, it, yeah, too right. It was just, just, just a, just a very thought that an Asian movie would get that kind of penetration, in in into the West. Um, it also to be fair, it was the first film where he really got. The, the plaudits at home as well. It, it swept at the what's the um, what's the Hong Kong Oscars called? I can't remember what they're called. But you know, he won Best Director, Best Actor. <coughs> um, and the film won numerous other awards, which whilst he'd been sort of recognised for bits and bobs before. It's the first time one of his films really cleaned up. Um, so so not only was it, you know, did it make it over to the West. Not only did it get you know a eyes version. Over, over, over here. um well, certainly in America, I think you got the to dice version. But yeah. it was, it, 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 it was probably the first time he was truly legitimised as a filmmaker. It'd always been a very popular personality. You know, people watch Stephen Chow films; they're funny. But I think it would be like um, I, I can't, th- I can't think of another example. But I, I can't think of any comedy actor who's made a comedy film as, as a director. And pulled it off, whilst also starring in it. Um, I can think of many comedy actors who've done fantastic straight performances and gone on to make you know people like Ben Stiller. Yeah, can can direct a film, but uh, he's better than Ben Stiller. Anyway, I'm rambling. <laughs> I'm, I'm rambling. I could ramble all night about Stephen Chow, oh,
0: but then it's a um, to edit. True. <laughs> so, well. Uh, obviously, you've. Uh, I think this film stands up same as it did when it was released. I think it's certainly uh, not lost in in the intervening years. So, definitely one that I would uh, recommend checking out uh, if you haven't done already. So, um, but that brings us to the end of tonight's show. Thank you as always for listening. If you haven't done already, please do hit the like and subscribe button wherever you happen to be listening to us. Uh, you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter or on Instagram as well. And uh, in particular, our Facebook group is a really fun place to hang out. We post something new pretty much every day some, uh, news pieces or clips, just all sorts of fun bits of pop culture there. So definitely uh, check that out. That was a nice episode. Thank you for listening, and we'll be back soon with, a, with another selection. But until then, good night. <coughs> 昨日の恋は忘れて